Hi, everybody. Eric Bailey, Eli Letterman talking Oklahoma football, Oklahoma basketball, and everything Sooners related here at the Tulsa World. Eli, it's good to see you again, man. Last time I saw you, we were trying to get home from Orlando, Florida. I know. It's our first time doing this, and I think just speaking virtually face-to-face -face in 2023, around <laughs> like the Cheez-It Bowl come down, the early conference hoops. It's, uh, it's all happening here. Any New Year's resolutions? Uh, you know what? That's a good one. I don't have any. I don't have any. Maybe I don't uh, either. I got asked I, on the radio yesterday. I got none. That's a good question, man. I don't know. Well, here, here's the thing. Uh, you got home okay. Did your bag finally make it home? My bag made it home. I was my travel troubles from like a couple of brief delays to a slight miscue with my baggage did not compare to what you went through. <laughs> did not compare to what Ryan Aber at the Oklahoma went to Jesse Crittenden at the Norman transfer. All our friends on the beat. Had it way worse than me. I was chilling in Orlando while everyone else scrambled. Uh, so I had no issues. You won, the, you won the amazing race among the OU. Yeah. You're all trying to get there. You were among the latest to leave for Orlando and the first to get there. Uh, I know uh, Ryan and Jesse Crittenden from the Norman Transcript drew, drove from St. Louis. Bob and Eddie Radosevich from uh, Sooner Scoop drove from Atlanta. Uh, I was fortunate. And I feel bad for everyone stuck in airports. I was fortunate because I... Uh, Never left Tulsa. I kept getting canceled. And then finally, I just switched airlines and uh, got to Orlando. Uh, day before the game, though, that was the weird thing. I think the Ironman award, if I won the Amazing Race, and I, that's now written in perpetuity into one of Barry Trammell's columns, but uh, John Hoover oh. drove all the way from Tulsa. And if, I mean, I, I would imagine he might actually be rolling in. It's what? Eleven thirty-seven on Thursday. He hung around for the All-America game, the Under Armour All-America game with a bunch of Sooner signees playing in it. I think he only just got home. I know last <laughs> night he wasn't yet home. And so he's, if, if I was there fastest, he he wins the, the marathon because he was, was there a long time. Who gave me a call, I think on Monday or Tuesday of the game week and said, hey, because we were both trying to fly out there. He said, I'm driving. Do you want to jump in with me? For a split second, I thought, yeah, but then I saw how long a drive that was. I, uh, let me take my chances on another airline. So who? You just knew I was already in Orlando. Yeah. Yeah. And he, and he beat me to Orlando. You could yeah, yeah, he deserves an award. He, he, yeah, who our friend who he he logged a lot of highway miles. So um, good ball game we saw in Orlando too at the Cheez It Florida State. We saw an excellent game, 35-32 Florida State. But I tell you, Eli, it was. I think that this was a game that we. I think Oklahoma is going to be able to build momentum into this the spring into spring drills. I thought it was interesting. You know, I'll, I'll kind of fess up a little bit in the interview room down in Orlando in the stadium. Uh, the door leading to the OU locker room was right next to the interview room. And we could hear Brent Venables uh, screaming to his team just how proud he was and how this was going to be a foundational year and, and big things are to come. And and I, I was just impressed at his message after the game. There was no, we could have done this better. We could have done this better. Uh, and, and it was exactly what we saw on the podium a few minutes later. He he, he wanted to, you know, praise the efforts of his team and, and say that they were pointed at the right direction. And and that's kind of what he did during during the post-game interview. Yeah, I mean, it was, I will admit, I'll fess up that in the lead up to the game, I, I was struggling to see, based on kind of what where Florida State was, how this was going to stay close. OU was down some really important guys. Ultimately, they were down four starters from the regular season on the offensive line. Uh, and and it, this just had been one of the hottest teams in college football in Florida State. So I think, you know, I don't know how much Brent Venables subscribes to moral victories. Certainly after the game, I mean, it, the, the message was 
as much about the performance, which I think was a, a pleasant surprise to a lot, uh, but about that pride, about this team getting to the finish line, getting here, finishing strong. I mean, you can talk, you know, it was a loss, but it was a strong defeat. And um, that's been the message really since the latter half of the season has been about foundation, about legacy. You've heard it from guys like Braden Willis, who I've, I've, I've wrote about and have kind of continued to say, I think was sort of the, the right leader for this team. Um, guys who were here and Deshaun White gave voice to a lot of the same things that they felt like they laid a foundation. They felt like they did something important this year, even if it certainly wasn't the season any of them envisioned, it's not the season a lot of senior fans are used to. And hopefully it's, you know, that the last sub 500 season for Brent Venables and Norman. Um, but, but they finished strong and, and that really was the, the kind of the, the over overriding message on the way out was that this team finished right. They laid a foundation and, and now let's look ahead to 2023. You know, it's it's really interesting because you you saw some of the leaders for the future, some of the playmakers. Uh, when you saw someone like Javante Barnes and Gavin Salchuk, you wondered who was going to run the football after Eric Gray uh, declared that he was uh, moving on to the NFL draft. And you saw two hundred yard rushers against a very good Florida State defense. Oklahoma ended ended up, I think, around two hundred fifty five rushing yards, which is the second most the Seminoles allowed all season. And what impressed me was not only the running ability of of these two players, especially Salchuk, who we, we only see carry the ball twice leading into this game but also you mentioned also the offensive line uh four four newcomers on that offensive line and they were out, able to impose their will uh oh you ran the ball 60 times which was amazing a season high 60 that was more than i think they ran the ball 57 times against kansas so uh it really is something that you can build build your offense on i, I was really impressed with how jeff levy how he really stayed with the run game. I, I, you know, there were times when, you know, the, the, the final touchdown OU scored was on third and goal from, I think like the nine yard line and they, they, a run play scored the untouched, uh, scored the final score uh, to make it 32, 32. So impressed with what this offense was able to do, especially with all the youth and all the inexperience on the offensive line. Yeah. I mean, it was, like I said, they had, the, they were down four starting offensive linemen and then they lost Jacob Sexton on the very first series. And if you had told me pregame that they ran as much as they did behind that offensive line with two running backs who we were all excited to see kind of get their big moment, I don't know that I would have predicted that that spelled such a great um, offensive performance, run game performance. Uh, and they really did. I, th I think a lot of people thought Florida State was going to push them around, push this Oklahoma State O-line around. And I think it's a credit to the depth they have at that position, which they spoke about all fall. We, we really didn't have to see it much because save for couple of injuries and Andrew Rain there at the end of the year being out. They didn't have to dig into it, but credit to that depth, credit to Bill Biedenboe for having this group in a spot to go up against a Florida State defensive line or front seven that a lot of people predicted was going to come in and, and have its way. So that was encouraging. And then you look toward next year, maybe it's some of those guys we saw on the line playing against Florida State who are going to be contending for jobs. Or I think the backfield, as things stand, I would back one of Gavin Sawchuk or Javante Barnes to, to be that lead guy. I think there's, you know, scholarship distribution wise, it's hard to see them adding another running back. They have a lot of guys in that room. Do they need a veteran? Is there someone in there? But, you know, Marcus Major will presumably be back. Can he, can any of them handle an Eric Gray workload? I don't know. I think they could use a veteran, but if, if you're going in with Javante Barnes and Gavin Sawchuk, the cheese will definitely give you a lot of reason to be optimistic. Defensively, they are losing some players. Uh, Deshaun White, of course, we knew that he was leaving. Uh, you lose someone in the back end. Um, Justin Broyles is going to be missing. Uh, C.J. Colden announced his uh, entry into the NFL draft. So there'll be an opportunity for a lot of a lot of younger players to come out and make some plays. I'm kind of curious 
how that secondary is going to line up. Uh, you know, we all talked about Peyton Bowen, the the incoming uh, all star all star from uh, Denton Geyer. Uh, but then, you know, how, how does this impact guys like Gentry Williams and Robert Spears Jennings, some of these younger players who, to be honest, Eli, I really thought we'd see them more in the bowl game. Mm -hmm. And they they really leaned on their veteran leadership on defense yeah. in the bowl game. So kind of curious how their production will be going forward. What's it going to be like seeing those guys in, in the secondary? Uh, you know, defensive line wise, we're going to see how they they do. They do Isaiah Coe. Uh, who really kind of disrupted things a little bit on the offensive line all season. He's coming back. He announced he's returning too. So uh, defensively, I think there needs to be improvement. I think that the big thing is that the depth that recruiting uh, was able to to build is going to help this team. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned Isaiah Cove coming back a couple hours later after he announced that uh, earlier this week. Woody Washington announced that, you know, that he, he planned to return. And I think that's really important because you – you mentioned that turnover in the secondary, and they're going to bring in Peyton Bowen. They've got Kendall Dolby coming in from NEO. I mean, he's the top junior college cornerback in the nation. Is he going to, you know, can he contend for, for a starting job? He's really versatile. He could maybe play that cheetah spot too. But, you know, there, there's going to be turnover. And to be able to return your number one cornerback, uh, knowing that that other position may be, you know, could it be Jaden Davis? We don't know what he's doing yet. Could it be Kendall Dolby? Is there someone we haven't thought of yet or who isn't in the program yet? But knowing you've got Woody Washington in, in a secondary that's going to turn over, I, I think is, is a big win. And it's part of that building block toward what, for hopefully, if you're a Sooner fan and, and if you're Brent Venables, is going to be an improved, a more stable secondary. It starts with guys like him being back. Uh, and, and I think now, you know, we'll, we'll probably get to it a bit more, but it, it, the attention turns to the portal. They've added well. They've added a lot of up front. I think if you want to look at the defensive line as one of the points of struggle this year, they've already reinforced it, at least on numbers and on paper. You look at a Notre Dame transfer. You look at uh, Desan McCullough coming from Indiana. You look at Trace Ford coming down from Stillwater. We haven't talked on the podcast since Trace Ford made his decision. Uh, they've reinforced there. I'm, I'm curious to see where else they feel like they've got to look. And obviously, as, as we talk right now, Dylan Gabriel and Marvin Mims are the two big names that have, have not yet um, – signaled their plans for next year and, and certainly whatever they do will have, have some serious bearing on what the Sooners have to do. You mentioned Dylan Gabriel. It's interesting today, uh, his uh, former teammate yeah. at UCF, Matt Lee, uh, center, is on campus at OU. Uh, I think, you know, there could be an opportunity maybe to reunite uh, Matt Lee and Dylan Gabriel. And, you know, Dylan Gabriel even tweeted a little note <laughs> on Twitter, a little social media note uh, mentioning Matt, you know, kind of uh, talking about Matt Lee being on campus. And that's a good sign if you're an Oklahoma fan for Gabriel returning next season too. And I think it's important there, you know, there's a, there's a lot of hasty talk after a, a tough loss and, you know, people uh, look at Dylan Gabriel and say, Hey, you know, Jackson Arnold needs to be the guy next year. And people are already saying he should be the starter day one. It's that transition is so, so hard. It takes such a special player to make that transition. And there's a lot to be said about Dylan Gabriel, his experience, what he brings. Now, I'm not saying you write off Jackson Arnold coming in as quarterback, but I think that Jackson Arnold can learn a lot from Dylan Gabriel in terms of, you know, how to handle games, how to manage games, how to prepare for games. Uh, you know, I think that they're going to be really good. They're going to work off each other well. Uh, you know, if Gabriel, as we expect, does come back. Uh, and, and I think uh, that's going to be huge uh, for Jackson Arnold's development. Um, and then Marvin Mims, like I said, we're still waiting on Marvin Mims. That's the interesting one. Is he going to return? He made some outstanding catches in that cheese it bowl. I mean, so and it seems like we can go down the list and look at all the acrobatic catches he's had and all the big games he's had. He's a big time player. 
So we'll see what happens with Marvin Mims coming forward. Um, Portal's not done. I mean, what did what did uh, Brent say? He wanted to add at least ten people, uh, ten players to this, yep. this roster. And and you know we're looking at like we said, we're looking at Matt Lee. I think they probably want to kind of bolster that defensive line a little more too. So there's still players out there, and we'll still see if there's still movement. Yeah, I mean, as it relates Jackson Arnold and Dylan Gabriel, in in one column you've got Jackson Arnold, who when I went down there to Denton and spoke to him, when you you wrote the other night about his performance at uh, in the Under Armour All America game. Can, like a constant thread has been he's just excited to get to the speed of the game he wants to learn the college game he's he's ready for the speed of it wants to feel that wants to know what the life is like and all that and so I think he's perfectly situated and, and has stated that he's really excited and ready to work behind Dylan Gabriel on the assumption that he comes back and uh, as, as it relates to Dylan Gabriel then you're you know OU fans and, and people out there can have their thoughts on his performance their, their rightful critiques over the course of the season but you can't understate the fact that you know you've got a quarterback who'll be playing his fifth season of college football, and we we see every year. I mean, you look at Max Duggan right now and Stetson Bennett, two of the most experienced quarterbacks in the country, are the two competing for a national title on Monday. And I, I'm not setting those expectations for Dylan Gabriel and the Sooners next year, but I, I think you know knowing what um, the, maybe the lack of depth the Sooners had behind him this year, uh, there should there's probably an element of being grateful for for what they've got in Dylan Gabriel if he is indeed back next fall. Jackson Arnold had a huge game in that Under Armour mm-hmm. game. He led the, the the game. He had the most rushing yards. He had a, he had a 50 rushing yards. He had 100 passing yards, which led all passers. Uh, uh, his team only had five big plays. He had four of them. Uh, he really shined uh, against the defensive line. I mean, there were a lot of times he didn't have time to throw, time to run, because they were placing a really good defensive line on the other side of the ball, uh, which included David Hicks, of course, the Texas a and <laughs> we've talked about in the past. But I was really impressed with Jackson Arnold in that Under Armour game with just with some of his skill set. I mean, I you know we've seen it uh, in, in uh, Denton, and we saw it a little bit on ESPN this week. Uh, and of course, it's tough to play in those All Star games because it's everything's man to man coverage. And you know, in a way, it could be easy for a quarterback because everything is man to man coverage. But he was able to make his reads, make his throws. I was impressed with him. Uh, and talking, let's go to the Under Armour game a little bit. Uh, you're gonna have to help me out again, PJ. Help me out. Adibore. Adibore. I like I said, I can spell it. I can't say it. I'm going to call him PJ. Uh, sack in the second quarter, and, uh, and he had a couple of tackles. Really impressive with his length. And I knew that going in. We had a chance to go up to Kansas City and talk to him. And I was just impressed with just how long he is. And coaches have mentioned that in the past. And he really disrupted things. Um, uh, you know, Lewis Carter, a linebacker, just uh, we got a chance to talk to Josh McQuistion with Sooner Scoop uh, before the signing class was signed, and he had mentioned that Lewis Carter was someone that he was really, really impressed with, and we saw it. I mean, he he he's not afraid. He he loves violent hits. He wasn't afraid to be physical out there. He had five tackles, uh, second most for his team. I was impressed with him too. Peyton Bowen, Jacoby Johnson, uh, they got some playing time. Peyton Bowen had one tackle. Really didn't call his name a lot, but he was out there. Uh, Jacoby Johnson. Uh, you know, the guy you're familiar with, you had a chance to talk to yep. Jacoby. Big third down pass breakup, too. So this this uh this all-star game, it was fun to watch just because they had a chance to watch future Sooners play. There were eight that were invited, seven took part in the game. So it, it was a it was a good uh good thing for Oklahoma fans to see what the foundation is gonna be like in the future. Yeah, I think you know, Lewis Carter is the one who jumped out to me. You uh Jackson Arnold continues to impress but Lewis Carter is the one that Brent Venable spoke really highly of 
uh, on, on the day the early signing period opened when he spoke about this class. And you look at that linebacker position. We talk about next year. I'm not projecting anybody to, to step in there. But if, if this year was the year that Jaron Kanick and Kobe McKenzie and Kip Lewis were sort of in at least the mix at times um, to, to, to be in that too deep, I wonder if Lewis Carter and a group that I think, uh, unless they were to add to it through the portal, which they might still do, is again going to be thin and just looking for depth. I wonder if Lewis Carter is that guy. I, I thought an, another in that category might be Sam Omasigo, but you know we'll see when these guys get on campus. But I think that linebacker position seems to be one where they feel like it, they're, they're recruiting certain guys, these very athletic, versatile guys, that they can get them in early. And so I wonder if, if Lewis Carter might be one of them next year. Now, Eric, if we're capping the season here, I, I teased some trivia to you before we, we jumped <laughs> on. So I was doing some work for a story that'll be in the Tulsa world tomorrow today, some research. And uh, there's been 11 coaches since Bud Wilkinson was hired uh, in 1947. Brent Venables this year, the, the Sooners finished six and seven. That's a win percentage of 0.462. Where does that win percentage rank among the 11 coaches since 1947 in their first year at OU? That's a great question, and, and I, I will let everyone listening, the first person I thought of was Gomer Jones, but I think Gomer Jones is ahead of Brent, because I know I Gomer Jones had, is. Yeah, and uh, I know Woody Wooden, oh, Woody Woodenhofer, that's not, that's not <laughs> the right coach, that's your former Missouri coach, Howard Snellenberger, uh, I know that he uh, was 500 in his one year, Um for, for reference, Gomer Jones, six and four and one with a 591 win percentage in 64. Schnellenberger, five, five and one in 95. So, both ahead of Brent Venables. And I have no cheat sheets in front of me. So I'm trying to think, you know, Barry Switzer, Gary Gibbs, they had great years. Bob Stoops, mm -hmm. of course, had a good first year, seven and five. I do, do remember that. Uh, and Lincoln Riley, of course, took him to the Rose Bowl in 2017. Um, gosh, this is a great question. Now, when you get to Bud Wilkinson and some of those coaches, uh, Chuck Fairbanks, I'm, I'm at a loss for, you know, what their Fairbanks had a great years. first year. Yeah, Fairbanks had a good first year. Okay, you can tell me that. Um, you Same know, one. I'm going to go with, out of the 11 first-year coaches, I'm going to go with 10. Uh, I think he may have been ahead of John Blake, because I know Blake had a tough first year. That, that'd be I my... wish I had a bell. Here, I can... Hit the mug. You got it. You got it. Yeah, uh, yeah. He was tenth among them. John Blake was three and eight. Uh, okay. But that is the only coach in in that time span who had a, a finished their debut season with a worse record and a worse win percentage than Brent Venables in twenty twenty two. What it means? Yeah. Who knows? That was, yeah. you know, that whatever bearing that has. But I, I found that to be an interesting kind of historical uh, guide. And let me ask you this: Who was nine? Who was ahead of? Uh... So it's it is John Blake at three and eight. It's uh, Venables at six and seven, uh, and then Schnellenberger, Stoops, okay. Jones ahead of him. Jim McKenzie, I think he's the only one we haven't mentioned. Uh, it was his only yeah. year. It was 66, six and four, and then you get to Gary Gibbs, Bud Wilkinson, Lincoln Riley, and Chuck Fairbanks, interestingly, had was only behind Barry Switzer uh, <laughs> for, for the very best debut season. Switzer, I guess, benefits a bit from a tie. They were 10-0-1. Fairbanks was 10-1. I was uh, learning to do some basic arithmetic this morning. Well, you know, and you put this in perspective, Eli, 11 coaches since 1947. That's like 75 years, uh, almost mm -hmm. yeah, 75 seasons of football. That, that's it's 75, isn't it? If I do the Pretty math. good. Yeah, yeah. with just 11 coaches. That, you know, there are some programs that have 11 coaches in the last 20, 30 years. So, yeah, so that's that's a big deal. So, um, 
And Bob Stoops, uh, lower tier of that group. That's the crazy yeah. thing. Seven and five. And so when Stoops, Schnellenberger, uh, Venables, and then Blake, those are the bottom four of the eleven. Yeah. And I'll, I'll give you that, that is correct. It's, it's Stoops, Schnellenberger, Venables, Blake. I'll give you one other tidbit. I've, I've hit on this a bit, but this is only the fifth time an OU team has lost seven or more games in a season, which again speaks, you know, you, you mentioned the coaches and that consistency. Talk about consistency here. There's not a lot of schools that can say that. The best record of the teams that lost seven or more games in a season the following season was six and four. And that was Jim McKenzie's lone season in Norman in 1966. I wonder if, uh, if they'll, uh, if, if that's, if that's the bar, the watermark, I'd imagine the, the goals in Norman are getting set a lot higher for 2023, but that's the mark. Every, no one else did better than six and four after one of the, the four previous seven lost seasons. <laughs> Gosh, we'll see what happens. Uh, I know the non-conference schedule next year is a little bit kinder than what it's been in the mm -hmm. past. So I think there's an opportunity for Oklahoma to build some momentum going into a uh, big 12 play. Of course, everyone thought that this year when OU was three and zero after beating Nebraska. So we'll, we'll talk a lot about that in the future. Um, before we go to basketball, I want to ask you, uh, you got a prediction for Monday night, TCU, Georgia? Man, it's tough. We mentioned the two quarterbacks there and it's like, I don't, I think that the semifinal Georgia Ohio State is every reason you don't bet against Stetson Bennett because he was pretty rough for three quarters there and and it actually resembled what JJ McCarthy did with Michigan. The difference was Stetson Bennett turned it around in the fourth quarter. JJ McCarthy and Michigan didn't. I struggled to bet against Stetson Bennett. I struggled to, to, to bet against what seemingly is the far better team, but I also struggled to bet against TCU this year. They found every way to win. They've won close. They've won big. They've done it with defense. Uh, they've done it with that offense. And I, I wouldn't sleep well tonight or these next few nights if I picked against them. So I'm going with the Horned Frogs. <laughs> going with the underdog. Going with Sunny Dykes and the Hypnotoad and the whole thing. What about you? Yeah, the Hypnotoad. I love it. I love the Hypnotoad. You know, we should have got an idea of what this was like when we went down to cover the Oklahoma TCU game in Fort Worth. And TCU looked really, really good. And we just were, we were asking so many questions. What's wrong with... OU at that time. Maybe the bigger question was how good is this TCU team? Maybe we just didn't see the right from the right perspective. I, I was a bit impressed with TCU. And I know it's a name a lot of people don't like to hear, but the, the Riley name has a factor in this. Garrett Riley's yeah. doing a great job calling plays. Uh, to score that many points against Michigan and to dominate Michigan like they did, I, I was really impressed with that, with what they were able to do in that game. Uh, Max Duggan, you mentioned the, the veteran leadership that he has. He's been on campus for a long time, and it's not just him. Their whole team is filled with fourth and fifth year players that have a lot of experience. Now, I think what's going to hurt them in this game is they've never had this, this experience of playing in a big game like this, like much of Georgia's roster. Uh, I'm going to go with Georgia just simply because of the experience factor and what they've been able to do. And, you know, uh, but I don't want to discount TCU at all. I mean, I'll, I'll be honest, we're supposed to be unbiased, but I really having I'm having so much fun watching this TCU team play I mean I had a good time watching the Michigan game uh, I I just I wouldn't be surprised if TCU won and in, in fact I I'd, I'd, I'd smile and uh, you know raise a glass to them if they win this game but it's going to be tough uh, so I'm going to go with Georgia but uh, I'm just looking forward to a great game I'm sending the tweet right now Eric Bailey does not believe in underdog TCU <laughs> send send tweet since yeah, uh, here is his home. Here is his cell number. Give him a call. <laughs> um, before we wrap up, uh, I do want to ask you about basketball. Tough loss for the Sooners. Two tough losses the last yeah. two 
uh, you know, against really good competition. Uh, just uh, what happened last night against um, Iowa State? Just your, your thoughts on the game. So the Sooners are 0-2 in conference play. So they, stand. they go to Texas Tech this weekend. They lost game one to sixth-ranked Texas by a point, and then last night to 25th-ranked Iowa State by three. That's four, four points separating two losses. And that prompted Porter Moser at the podium post-game to, to channel some Al Pacino. That was the first thing he said. It was like, Porter, what are your thoughts on the game? I keep coming back to Al Pacino, and my ears perked up. Uh, he was talking about inches and game of inches any given Sunday, all that, because uh, that's where the Sooners are right now. They are losing – close games, but they're kind of continuing to lose close games. And I think the fact is, I mean, I listed that, you know, the two ranked opponents to start, uh, I think they get a, a break with a break in, in inverted commas there with Texas Tech and then they play Kansas. This is what the schedule is going to be like in the Big 12. There was the stat that came out earlier this week that according to ESPN's BPI, the 10 hardest schedules in the nation remaining are just the 10 Big 12 teams. So that They got to play each other and each of them also because it's not hard enough, has an SEC opponent in there. OU plays Alabama later this month. That won't be a cakewalk either. <laughs> and so the Sooners, I think that this is what it's going to be. It's they're going to be in tight games. I don't know that they're um, talented enough to be running. You know, I don't know. I don't know who in the Big Twelve is talented enough to to run the other Big Twelve teams out of the gym. But if they're going to be in close games, it's it's going to be the little things that Porter Moser harped on. I mean, they they started last night. They were down twenty five to seven. Then it was 27-25. So they've got both ends of it. That was a 20-0 run. Uh, but it was the execution late. There were some late turnovers. Some of it's just shot execution and and some of the defending. And, and that's where, you know, that's what left Porter Moser kind of exasperated was another tight defeat uh, in a game he felt like they could have had. And, and he probably knows that, you know, oh, if, if this is going to be decided on the margin, if, if, if March comes around and it's going to be a game or two that they need, 0-2 start in the, in the Big 12 is not going to help them. You know, what's impressed me, and we talked about this a little before, is just the play of Bijan Cortez and how he seems like yep. he's turned a corner. And I know there were talk about, you know, is he going to stick around? Was he going to transfer? What was going to happen after his first year? But I think he's really turned the corner, uh, really uh, just kind of engineering the offense really, really well. And uh, I think we also saw, saw what happens when Grant, Grant Sherfield has a tough game. What's going to happen to this team? Because I know he had a tough game against the Cyclones as well. So a little bit of moving pieces. You're learning as you go. Uh, but yeah, Cortez and Sherfield, I think those two, the impact and lack of impact really uh, interested me last night. Well, that's the thing. You had a three-point loss to a ranked team that just knocked off Baylor. And your best scorer, Grant Sherfield, had his worst scoring output as a Sooner. He'd scored in double figures every game before last night. Last night, four points, one of seven shooting. Uh, and, and, and so it did fall to Bijan Cortez, who's been great off the bench. Uh, Lowe Susan has been good as well. I, I think if you want to look at what maybe is there to change for the Sooners, I, I think you know that who they're going to have to roll with inside. Tanner Groves, you're, you're hoping he has nights like last night, 16 and eight, and he stayed out of foul trouble. But that's going to be you know him, Jacob Groves. Sam Godwin, Jalen Hill, those are going to be the, the forwards. I wonder, you know, maybe if, if finding different combinations between Cortez, Sherfield, and, and Uzan is, is the solution because Porter Moser has spoken about, you know, Louis Uzan has been great. I mean, he does not look like a freshman very often. Looking like a freshman playing in the nation's toughest conference, is he better off coming off the bench? I don't know. But Bijan Cortez last night was the charge behind the big run that brought them back into the game. He was important for them in the second half, and he has been. And maybe the bench is his best role as well. But I do wonder if you're looking at adjustments they can make in terms of personnel, 
maybe it's it's rotating those guards in different ways. At one point, I think we saw all three together last night, and I'll give C.J. Nolan some credit, probably his best game off the bench, and Porter Moser said that was after his best two practices of the year. So it's where the Sooners are. I think we're going to be having a lot of similar conversations. Uh, maybe the wins, you know, the loses, losses will turn to wins, but they're going to be playing close games against quality opponents from now until that first week of uh, of March, and, and so we'll see where – where this goes, but Eric, the OU women. Tough loss for the Sooners at home against Baylor. And it's funny because Baylor, that's turned into a little rivalry. I know mm -hmm. OU was able to sweep the, the Lady Bears last year and then lost in the Big 12 or tournament to, to Baylor. And then first game back, 81-70, uh, Baylor uh, defeats the Sooners on their home floor. Uh, tough loss. It was, it was a tough loss. Oh, you couldn't get any rhythm. Uh, and it just comes down to the defense. They need to make more defensive stops. They can score a lot of points, and there are going to be games when they're not going to score points. They only had 70 against the Bears. And so what happens? Uh, who, what do you do when you can't score? You need to play better defense. And I think that's that's the key. So a tough loss. I, I don't think anything's, you know, it's, it's just they got so much senior leadership on this team. I, I think they'll be able to bounce back. It'll be tough to bounce back because they have a tough opponent on Sunday. Uh, they play number 13, um, Iowa State at home. And it'll be neat seeing um, the Ashley Jones, Aubrey Jones, the Jones sisters playing against each other. That's going to be a lot of fun and, and just to see that kind of in the atmosphere and stuff. But, uh, you know, Sooners still, they were number 17 this week going in. I still think they're in good shape. They're still one of the dominant teams in the Big 12. Just that hiccup that, you know, they're going to have to learn from. It has to be one of those games they can't let it linger. They got to grow from that game. Uh, I know you're going to ask me about Taylor Robertson. She's getting close to the record. I think, <laughs> do I know the numbers off the top of my head? No, but I know she's getting close to the record. And I wouldn't be surprised if she doesn't do it in the next four games. So um, three-pointers, of course, we're talking about the 499th NCAA record of three-pointers made in her career. So that's where she's closing in on. So, um, but yeah, so uh, women's, uh, women's basketball still, I think they're still a top 25 team. They're still a veteran team. They're still going to have a good year. Just a tough loss for the Sooners. Where would this team, and like you said, they're they're top 20 and I, I think top 25, and I think there's there's hefty expectations for this group. We know they can score, and, and we know they've got the shooters. Where do you feel like they've got to improve or, 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 or make some fixes between now and, and March? You know, just continue to do what they did, but, you know, take care of the ball a little more, uh, try to cut down on turnovers, but that's just a product of the way they play. You know, they they entered this game leading the nation in assists. They throw the ball around a lot, and it's not the turnovers. I think you can live with them because they get good shots off their passes, but there's going to be times when you're throwing the ball away, trying to make things happen. So I think if you can take care of the ball just a little more, uh, not not as many empty possessions, I think that's huge too. But And defensively, I mean, there's sometimes there are going to be matchup issues. I mean, sometimes they're not going to have that big person in the middle to to kind of stop, stop people. But I think uh, taking care of the basketball, just playing a little better defense. The goal for Oklahoma, right now and, and they're in a tough conference as well but the goal for Oklahoma now is try to get that top four seed so you can be on your home floor to start the NCAA tournament I think that's the big thing right now it's you know of course you want to win a big 12 championship but to do that you have to win a lot of games and I think if they can put together enough wins and some quality wins they lost a chance against Baylor but if they can get some quality wins get back in that top four uh and, and host an NCAA tournament regional I, I think that would be big for the Sooners. Certainly. Well, Eric, I think that does it for us. One of our longer editions. I guess we just had a lot to get out in the new year. <laughs> and, you know, that's the thing. It's, it's been so much fun. There was a lot to talk about. A lot of things happened in seven days. I mean, just think, Eli, last seven days ago, we were in Orlando eating lunch at uh, where at some uh, Brazilian restaurant. Is that oh, correct? man, that was the highlight of the whole trip. The game was fun. When I dragged the, the beat to a field trip, uh, 
yeah. cultural immersion at this Brazilian uh, bakery. That was the highlight of the whole thing. Awesome, man. It was, it was, <laughs> they had a, what they had a statue. It was a Marta that was in the parking lot. Oh, oh, that was so cool. Yeah. The Brazilian soccer star, Marta, which uh, that was, uh, it was rather cool. And uh, food was great. Atmosphere was great. I quite enjoyed that, but you're exactly right. It's been, that feels like ages ago now because so much has happened. And I can say this, we're about to sign off. Dylan Gabriel is tweeting out memes uh, with his former center on campus. So there, there might be more news for us to follow here soon and, and to talk about the next time we're on here. It's crazy. It really is. So, well, for Eli, Eric, is Eric Bailey, TulsaWorld.com for all your uh, coverage. Uh, you know, of course, Spotify, Google, Apple, everywhere you, you see your platforms for your podcast will be on there. And I look forward to talking to you again. We'll talk more Oklahoma football next week. Oklahoma athletics, excuse me. Everyone out there. There we have, go. <laughs> have a good week. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening.